Everybody, I'm an alcoholic. My name is Mike Cook. Tom thought the meeting was still at 16th Street, so, so he was there about five minutes ago. And how he, how he didn't get a speeding ticket, I don't know. Um, good to be here. Uh, good to be sober. Um, last time I talked was about six months ago. And a lot's changed in that uh, period of time. And um, I am nervous, but there's no reason for that, you know, as long as I just tell you guys the truth, that's it right and um if my truth doesn't impress you i just that's just the way it is you know so um i'm mike i'm an alcoholic i've got a home group it's the tuesday night courage to change group at uh centenary uh, united methods church got a sobriety date it is uh, december the 22nd of 2004 um somehow by the grace of god i've been sober uh since then and um I'll just start from the beginning and just kind of jump right into it. I was, um, I was born uh, in Charleston, South Carolina, um, 1982, 37 years old. And um, we were, you know, my dad was in the military. He traveled around. Um, you know, we lived in Charleston. I don't remember any of that. We lived in San Antonio, Texas. I don't remember any of that. He was in the Air Force. Um, and I guess my earliest kind of childhood memories are from a little tiny town called Troy, North Carolina. And um, that's kind of where I'm from. From, And, um, I mean, it was I had kind of an idyllic childhood kind of looking back at it. Um, you know, mom and dad are still married to this day. They have their problems, and uh, like all married couples do. But I can probably remember them fighting, um, you know, four or five times, you know, something like that. One time she threatened to leave, and she left for a little while, and she came back, and that was the worst fight I can ever remember, right? So I can't really, um, you know, blame alcoholism, I don't think, on the fact that my mom didn't love me enough or my dad didn't love me enough or, um, you know, we had everything we wanted. Um, You know, I wasn't a spoiled kid, but but, um, there was never anything, you know, that that I needed that I didn't have. I grew up like like most kids do. I mean, I played baseball. I was always on a baseball field. Um, I was either in school on a baseball field or we were in church of some kind. So we went to church on uh, Sunday morning, Sunday evening, and and Wednesday night. Um, and you know, I soaked that up. Um, I believe that um, my grandfather was a Baptist preacher. My great-grandfather was a Baptist preacher, my uncle was a Baptist preacher, and my dad was a Baptist lay minister, you know. Um, So we had a pretty good hard dose of Baptists, Wesleyan and all that in the family. And we'd be in church um, when I was a little kid, and uh, it wouldn't be anything, you know, to be in a church of four or 500 people, and some dude would just pop up and just testify, you know, just go off on, you know, what was what was going on and how God had changed his life. And, um, you know, um, I was a super literal kid. I mean, and I still am. Everything I do, I wanted to do it perfectly. If you told me something, I believed it absolutely um, after I kind of proved it to myself. And um, I was saved in the church at a pretty early age, baptized, um, and felt, and felt, felt really good about all that. But, you know, I was telling a sponsee recently, kind of had a complex in there of, like, you know, was I doing the right thing in God's eyes, you know? 
felt guilty about certain thoughts and certain things. Um, even would have little daily confessionals with dad going to school, you know. Like, looking back, it's not super normal stuff, but at the time, it, it, it you know, it seemed, it seemed somewhat normal. Um, but we were always in the church, and uh, I was always playing baseball. I had plenty of friends in that little town. My uh, great, both sets of great-grandparents lived on the same, like, Mill Hill, and we'd go over there and see them, at, you know, on Sundays, and um, I went fishing all the time and, you know, hung out with my grandpa in the summer, and Always made really good grades. Um, you know, it was always at the kind of the, the, the top of the class. And it, it, was, it wasn't until really somewhere um, along the fourth, fifth, sixth grade that I really, really, really started feeling kind of this like anxious apartness. That's really all I know how to, how to only way I know how to describe it. I was, um, I was nervous. I started having panic attacks. Um, real panic attacks kind of at school um, the whole room would just I mean it felt like it was moving like it was just closing down on me um, and at the same time I had bought or my uncle he had a bunch of jobs one of his jobs was like a traveling encyclopedia salesman kind of guy and and we bought a whole childcraft Britannica encyclopedia set and, man, I read that thing. I was like a voracious reader. I was always reading stuff. And I read, I read all, like, 24 volumes. And, um, and I really got into this fossil record and uh, the history of the earth, how, how old the earth was. Um, and, man, it really, really, really caused me to question all this stuff that I've been taught in church. And, you know, everything that my life, I felt like, was kind of based around. Um, so much so that um, the panic attacks kind of got worse, and the parents were like, well, we got to take him to a religious counselor, you know, get this stuff straightened out. So I started seeing, like, I saw, all I remember is I saw a bunch of different people. I saw a religious counselor. I saw um, um, psychiatrists, and, um, and, and nothing really worked. We, we, meantime, Dad's corporate career, he had gotten out of the Air Force, and um, was with a big construction company, and uh, they moved us from little old Troy up here to Greensboro. And so in the seventh grade or so, um, we moved here to Greensboro, and uh, I was, put this up here for time, I was a um, little country kid with an accent. I still got some, a little bit. And um, I was a country kid, moved up here to Greensboro, and we were plopped right down in this little well-to-do neighborhood, um, with all these guys who had been friends, you know, since they were in diapers. And I'd always had this anxious apartness, but, man, I've really got it now. And um, I can remember um, on the first day of school, I, I don't know if anybody had a Huffy bike. <laughs> they used to make really awful, cheap, heavy bikes. <laughs> and, um, and I had one for, someone bought me one, my dad bought me one for Christmas. It was, I thought it was cool as heck and had these big neon green like, like hand guards. And I decided I was going to ride that bike to school. Went to Mendenhall Middle School, lived you know, right over here. And um, golly, I didn't know anybody, you know, I'm just this little country kid. I get on my Huffy and I'm riding to school and I'm riding past this like big pack of dudes at the top of the hill and. They all walked to school. I didn't know the cool kids walked to school. We don't ride bikes. 
and uh, I just remember I got past him, and somebody yelled like, "Like, where's your basket?" You know, like in <laughs> expletive. And um, and that's that's how I felt. Like that that summed up like how I felt. I just didn't feel. Later on, I would hang out with all those kids, and you know, I'd join their little group, and you know, but that's just how I felt. I, I, I always felt. I don't know how to describe that. I, ever since I was a little kid, I feel like I was looking for some kind of connection. Um, and other people seem to kind of have the, the formula. Um, I've heard other people say that from the podium and in meetings, and, and that's, that's my experience too. I didn't, have, I didn't have the formula. I thought it was God, you know, when I was a little kid, and, and then I was having all this trouble with that and didn't really understand that and moved to Greensboro, and people were making fun of me and my bike, you know. So anyway, um, started, I'll move along, started going to school and um, that was like the seventh or eighth grade and I'd gone to this psychiatrist and they had decided that I was OCD and, you know, had um, some depressive disorders, but both of which are true. And, um, you know, so they gave me a little medicine and man, that fixed me up, you know, and I thought, that's it right there. That's all I needed was that little pill. And, um, you know, still did really well in school. Um, still playing baseball. And somewhere along in the eighth grade, seventh, eighth grade, had the first drink. And um, Amon's Mini Mart is over here off uh, Church Street. And it's still there. It's back behind the uh, Golden Gate Shopping Center. And uh, you used to be able to walk into Amon's as... I mean, a 15-year-old kid, and if you were fairly confident, this guy would sell you alcohol. Um, but the first time that we drank, uh, me and two or three buddies, I think it was in the eighth, seventh, eighth grade, there was a homeless guy named Fred, and Fred lives in the vicinity of Amon's, and if you were around Amon's, you could yell for Fred, and you could t- t- typically find him. And um, we we would give him money and we would put our order in and he would always come out with like 40 ounce, you know, 40 ounces. And no matter what our order was. <laughs> and, um, so the first thing I ever had to drink was a 40 ounce of old English. And, um, I mean, I, I, we sat there in the bushes, you know, there's these big bushes and, um, behind the Harris tier there, my buddy had like a Schlitz and the other one had like a, you know, and, uh, I drank that whole thing down and, um, you know, didn't throw up, but I could still, I mean, I really can remember how it made me feel. And, um, that anxious apartness, that, you know, that gap between me and you, I want to, I want to get to know you, but I, I, you know, I, that went away. It really did. It went away. And I don't remember much more of that. We went to some little party where there were some girls at, and it was just, it was great. It was great. And I was off to the races. And, um, you know, so from then on, eighth, ninth uh, grade, you know, I mean, I, I drank every, every chance we got. And that was pretty much throughout high school um, every weekend. It was every Friday and Saturday night. The parents kind of knew what was going on, um, but the grades were still good. I was still doing really well. And, uh, with sports and stuff, and every once in a while, I'd get brought home by the police. Um, you know, for I, I, I was always fighting people. 
that was something else. I, I mean, that's just the truth. I was always fighting people. And so as long as I can remember, even though I've got this anxious apartness and I don't quite feel like I measure up and I'm, I'm, I'm comparing my insides to your outsides, I'm still fighting people. And um, I, I'm trying to prove that I'm, I'm trying to prove that I'm, I'm something, you know. And um, when I got drunk, it was even worse. <laughs> so, you know, I was like 15, 16 years old. I got charged with like engaging in a fray, which is like public fighting and um, I uh, would get charged a couple underage possessions at 15, 16 years old, and I start blacking out at this time. Um, I don't really know what that's about, and I'm not really worried about it. Um, blackouts, brownouts are a normal thing, and some of my other friends are having the same thing go on, and it's just kind of a normal thing. Um, but I'm already beginning to experience, you know, some of the consequences um, but none of that matters. All that pales in comparison to what alcohol does for me, and that is, is it makes me okay. It makes me enough. Um, it closes that gap between me and you. So um, somewhere in there, I convinced a psychiatrist that I was uh, ADHD, and mom wanted me to, you know, go to the best college and all that, and, um, you know, I told her I was having trouble concentrating and everything, and so she took me to a guy, and I took a test, and he said, you don't really look ADHD, but you probably benefit from some medication, you know, and um, so I got some medication, and I really, really, really learned to love that medication, um, <laughs> and um, so, you know, this is an AA meeting, and uh, I'm not trying to, to uh, break traditions or anything, but I had a serious, serious, serious alcohol and drug dependency really before I, before I, left, uh, before I left high school. Um, I was um, kicked off the baseball team, so I was like our starting kind of shortstop and kicked off that baseball team and um, there was this defiance, defiance, even back to middle school, you know, I'd get in an argument with a teacher and I'd spend time in in-school suspension. Or like even in, in, in high school, I was suspended for, you know, you know, drinking. I was suspended for this, that, and the other thing. And none of it mattered because I was, my grades were good. My grades were good. I'm going to college and, you know, I got everything I need. It's all, it's all, it's all good. So, um, you know, moving right along, somewhere between, uh, you know, that senior year in high school and college, I became, if I wasn't already the real thing, I, I became the real thing. And, um, golly, I can remember, you know, coming in from drunks at six, seven in the morning and trying to go to, trying to go to work. Um, but I go to, I go to, uh, to Carolina, I go to Chapel Hill and, um, I filled out two college applications. I filled out one to Carolina and I filled out one to Wake and, um, I didn't fill out anymore because I didn't, my mother wouldn't fill out anymore. She, she filled out my college applications. And um, so I'd never had any, I never, I wrote the essays. And um, I never had any idea. I never had any plan. I never had any, like, um, I was just living for the good time, you know. I was reasonably intelligent. But I never, I marvel at kids these days. They're like, I want to be this and that and the other thing. And they're, like, taking steps to go do that. I wasn't, I, I, I never did that. I still, I still don't really do that. Um, I go to Carolina. And um, 
Uh, I'm still abusing this, the hell out of this drug, um, this prescription drug, and I'm still drinking. And um, I want to join certain fraternities because I want to be accepted by this big group. And um, I get bald. I get basically banned from this fraternity that I want, you know what I mean? So here's another rejection. It's just like the basket, you know, the bike, huffy bike basket. I've been rejected again. I'm not, I'm not good enough for these guys. Um, I walk on to the baseball team, um, which was a cool thing. I was at a football game, and a guy I knew was like, hey, man, you should try out, you know. And um, so I did. I, I mean, I went out and tried out for the varsity baseball team, and there was – a hundred guys out there, and they had like a three-week-long tryout where they just kept whittling it down and whittling it down, and I, I made the damn team amazing, you know. Um, so some good things were still happening. Later on, I was so paranoid um, from sleeplessness and, uh, you know, alcohol and drug abuse that um, I was having panic attacks on the field, you know. Um, so this is really, though, where the real kind of stuff starts happening. I mean, maybe like the constraints of family and home and that kind of stuff have kept the wheels on to a certain extent to this point. But now I'm free, and um, I'm living away from the house, and I can kind of do what I want to do. And I'm having experiences where I start drinking, um, and then it would be like uh, just bam, and you know, it would be three days later and I would be in another state, you know, with like a bunch of people that I didn't recognize and, you know, I would have to piece together what had happened over the past two or three days. Um, I had one of these instances where I started drinking on Thursday night in Chapel Hill and um, all I remember, uh, I ended up in Charleston on the floor of my buddy's house on Sunday. I came to, I had blood everywhere. I had a third degree burn where I'd placed my hand on the stove. Um, he had left uh, because we had had some kind of altercation. And I had to search for my car. And, you know, I finally found it in the whole bed. My truck was just full of Budweiser's. Um, I'm not sure if people are familiar with, uh, with Chapel Hill or not, but I would go home and... Um, <clears throat> We lived a couple blocks from this restaurant called Time Out. Stayed open all the time. <clears throat> I would, I love to drive drunk. Um, I drive drunk everywhere. And um, I would drive drunk to Time Out for a few blocks, forget that I drove, and walk home. And then, you know, the next day, people would drive me around to find my car, and we would typically find it at Time Out. Um, so the stuff like that was happening, and it's funny, you know, but, like, it was, I mean, the episodes, too, were getting violent. You know, the book says, like, you know, we could be a pretty good guy, but, you know, let us drink for a day, and we often become disgustingly or violently antisocial, you know. And, man, that was me. Um, you know, or, like, he wakes up and he's startled, you know, revolted by, by episodes that he vaguely remembers. And that's what was going on. Um, and it, and it, just, it, just, it, just got, it just got worse. I mean, there was an incident where uh, I left the bar, um, Pantana Bob's. Um, and um, I left the bar and 
I had a, a guy who was going to sell me some stuff. He was behind me, and he was driving, and we got in front of the house, and I saw the blue lights, and I'd already had a DUI, and I didn't want another DUI, and um, I had no intention of stopping for these guys, and I sped. I mean, I fled from the police. I fled from the police in my vehicle. My passenger bailed out. I bailed out. Um, we ran into our house, locked the door behind us. The last thing I remember is the cop saying, like, remain in the vehicle, remain in the vehicle. <laughs> and, and I run upstairs and somehow, you know, shimmy down the second floor, um, you know, window and, uh, and get away from these guys. And, um, you know, the whole thing ends up getting, you know, pled to, like, making an unsafe move in a vehicle, right? When I should have had, like, so this is the story. I mean, I'm having these, these, these crazy, crazy, crazy events where, you know, the cops are showing up and they're putting handcuffs on me when I'm in the bed, you know, and taking me to jail. Um, you know, and this is the last drunk story I'll tell, but there was another incident where I was at a bar. Bartender comes from behind the bar. He tries to throw me out. I hit him with a, a bottle. We get in a fight. I shut the whole bar down. Um, I assault the police. And I'm put in the back of a car. I'm, I'm taken to Hillsboro where I cuss out the magistrate, you know. And he's just like, dude, mandatory 72 hours, you know. You're, you're with me. I do my first appearance in my orange jumpsuit over the TV into the Orange County courthouse where the, where, the, where the judge tells me, like, how much I've embarrassed the university and this and that and the other thing. And, man, I'm not ready to quit any of this, you know. I'm not ready to quit any of this because alcohol is still um, important to me. So if this, it's still doing that magic. Somewhere in here, I got a problem, though, right? I mean, my life's not going well. Um, I've always had a high, I've always had good grades. As soon as I get there, my GPA, it never gets higher than like a 2.3, okay? And um, I've been asked to leave the baseball team. I've been kicked off the baseball team because I'm having trouble showing up for practice, and they're not big on that. Um, <laughs> and um, so we, we've taken a medical withdrawal from school. Mom is driving. I don't have a license. I've had a DUI. Mom is driving me, like an 18, 19-year-old, whatever I was, from Greensboro to Chapel Hill to attend outpatient, like, substance abuse meetings. <laughs> and, um, I mean, it's the worst, hardest two-hour ride, you know, back and forth with mom when you're 19 and you're going to, you know, outpatient treatment in Chapel Hill. There are people there that are asking me and telling me that I need to go to AA meetings. Um, I would have no more gone to an AA meeting at that point in time than I would, you know, run out in front of a, a car. I just wasn't going to do it. They were drug testing me, and um, I can just remember that uh, I showed up, and there was um, a lady there who was the counselor one time. Mom comes and picks me up on, like, a Tuesday, and it's, you know, 10 in the morning, and I haven't been to bed, and uh, I'm going to see my drug counselor. And um, she sits me down, and she can tell that I'm jittery as heck, and she asks me, she tells me that what I need is a green memory, you know, and I had no idea what that was, and she told me that a green memory was when you, um, you remembered, you know, you remembered these instances, you remembered this stuff that was going on, you had this one awful thing that you held in your brain, and whenever you wanted to drink, you brought that into your memory, you know, and that would help you not drink. And um, I told her, I was like, I don't do that. 
I don't do that. I don't think. I don't think about any of this. I just drink. I can decide in the morning that I don't want to drink, and I'm drinking that night. And uh, I didn't know then because I'd had no exposure to AA, but that's kind of the definition, you know, in the, in the doctor's opinion of, of what an alcoholic is. I had already developed that peculiar mental twist, you know, that contrary to my sound reasoning, there was some insanely trivial excuse to, to start drinking again. Um, and I would do it, I'd do it every time. And so I, I knew that I was kind of hopeless then, but I, I hadn't, I wasn't quite at the bottom and I hadn't been hit with, um, with the message yet. I come home and it's, um, I've got all these pending legal charges. It's 2004. Um, I've been arrested again on Halloween night and thrown in the jet and thrown in the drunk tank again. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm going to get out of all this, you know, dad's going to hire an attorney and, um, you know, I'm an entitled, uh, I'm an entitled spoiled child is the truth. Dad's going to hire an attorney and we're going to get out of this. And I remember going to one of these consultations. The guy's name was Kirk Osborne. And um, he was actually one of the Duke lacrosse uh, attorneys. Good, good guy. Best attorney you could find. And um, he said, I, I, I developed a relationship with this guy. You know, I, we saw each other um, at least once or twice a year when I was in college. And um, he said, uh, man, I think you ought to go to some kind of treatment, you know. And uh, I said, well, why? Because it'll look good to the judge, right? And he was like, nah, Mike. He said, man, like, people that are blacking out and don't remember any of this stuff and, can, and, can't, and can't really even tell me what's going on, he's like, it's, it's, it's indicative of a problem, you know. And I was like, all right, man, duly, duly noted, you know. Let's just do your job and help me get out of this thing, you know. <laughs> Um, so, you know, um, there's this Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde thing. I don't have any relationships. I don't have any relationships. I can tell you that I'm going to get up and see you in the morning, um, and mean it and, and not be there if I'm drinking. I miss Christmas with the family, um, which is a big thing, man. My, we always had these big Christmases where, you know, our whole family was there. It was my favorite time of the year. And, you know, um, I went out, and uh, you know the story. I got drunk and was so hungover, I just, just never showed up. I, mean, I just couldn't get out of the bed. Um, all my gifts, you know, get brought to me. It's just awful. You know, these people that, that love me, I can't even show up for them. Um, mother and aunts and people are showing up at school because I'm not in touch with anybody anymore. They're just knocking on the door, you know, and there they are. Um, you know, they come in, and we have these really awkward conversations about how I'm doing, you know, and this and that, and then they leave. So um, let me get sober. So I, I, end up, um, I end up at Fellowship Hall, and um, I did not want to go to Fellowship Hall. Uh, they had a little intervention, Mom and Dad did, and they said, that's our truck, that's our car. Um, we love you, but we can't support you anymore. And I was like, just let me go back the fall semester, you know, and they were like, no, we've done that several times, and, um, you know, dad was like, I don't care what happens or what you do, uh, you just can't stay here anymore, but mom, you know, she had one more, like, one, one more try, she was not going to give up, and she had convinced me um, that I was just going to talk to somebody, 
and um, <laughs> she already had my whole bag packed, and it was in the trunk. <laughs> and um, so we drive to Fellowship Hall. I mean, she, she's trying to save my life, right? And um, we drive to Fellowship Hall, and the things that I said to her, you know, on the way out there are just like, just despicable. I mean, like I was possessed, you know, I kind of was. Um, we get out there, and um, the nurse is checking me in, and <clears throat> I forget what her name is. I can still see her, and I'm angry as hell, like I, like I always was. And she says, you know, how do you feel? And I said, I feel like I want to walk out of this place, you know. And um, she said, well, I think she sensed my hostility, and she said, we need to let you, we need to let you talk to somebody. And I said, okay. And so here comes this, like, six, seven dude, you know, <laughs> Mike. Mike Yao, and at that time, Mike is a counselor, and, um, you know, he's big, he's got tattoos and earrings and spiky hair, and um, I'm angry, and, you know, we sit down in his office, and he talked to me in a way that I've never been talked to by anybody else. I've been talked to by all these counselors and all these therapists, and um, Mike says, listen, man, like, you know, you don't look like a guy that's on a winning streak, you know? Am I right? And I was like, well, yeah. You know. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, and he goes, um, he said, man, look, we don't serve liquor here, you know? And um, my, <laughs> he, but really, that's what he said. He said, he said, he said, at least, at least, he said, why don't you, he said, we'll be okay if you don't stay here, you know? because they were privileged to have me at Fellowship Hall. <laughs> and um, he said, we'll be all right if you don't stay here. We've got plenty of other guests. Um, he said, but man, why don't you just stick around for a few days? You know, he said, at least you won't wake up trying to figure out or piece together what you've done for the past two or three days. And I was like, how does he, how does he know that? Because I hadn't told him any of that. Um, and so he just starts talking about himself. And, you know, like the book tells us to do when you're working with others. And I start relating to his story. He's been in, he's been in prison in Troy, where I'm from, right? <laughs> and, 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 and so I'm like, okay, well, like, here's a guy. Clearly, he understands the pain. And I can see it. I can see it all over his face. You can't fake that. And he's on the other side of this. He's got an office. You know, he's got a job. And he seems like he's, he's relatively happy. And, um... I decided that uh, right then and there, I asked him a question. I said, do people that stay here stay sober? And he said, if they, if they do, what's asked of them? And like right there was that first little bit, of, little bit of hope. And I walked out in the lobby and I broke down. Um, I hadn't cried in years. And uh, I started crying. Mom's there. Mom's crying because I'm staying. And um, I told him that I had one like it wasn't even a request it was like a requirement you know for me staying there and I told him that I wanted it was 2005 2004 basically and uh, Carolina had a damn good basketball team I told him that I had to watch every home basketball game you know if I and they kind of said we'll we'll try to work that out you know? <laughs> but I stayed I stayed and I mean it really was like a it really was somewhat miraculous. I mean, I, from, from a guy that had no intention of staying sober, that really was just going there to try to get people off my back, 
Um, I got in the book. I got in the literature. I started reading the literature, and I found myself in there. You know, more about alcoholism. Like, there is a solution. It's, it describes me and my behavior. And for the first time in my life, I was like, man, this is, this is me. This, this, this explains why I've been living the way I've been living. And uh, I came out of there, I mean, convinced that that was my problem. And I, and I had to stay sober. You know, I worked the first four or five steps as best as I could in there. And um, I got out. I got a sponsor. Um, I, uh, I took the suggestions. I called the guy's name, you know, that they, that they gave me. I went to 90 meetings in 90 days. I got one sponsor, then I got another sponsor. Um, and Jimmy J., Jimmy J was my was my sponsor, um, Sport, and Sport was my sponsor from 2005, you know, probably up to I mean, really, um, you know, six seven months ago, and that man saved my life. He drove back and forth to Chapel Hill with me and sat in courtrooms with me while we while we cleared up all this wreckage. Um, he would, we would go hunting, you know, up in the northeastern part of the state. Um, I would, I knew that he wanted what was best for me. Um, and I told him everything that, 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 was, that was going through my head, good, bad, ugly, indifferent. I, I haven't, I've done a lot of things that aren't, you know, perfect in sobriety, but the one thing that I think I've always done a good job of is I got so much stuff up here, and it's the stuff that gets me sideways and can, and can take me out, um, and I've typically had a sponsor, and I did with Jimmy, and I do with Tom, that I can call literally every day and just say, hey, man, here's the tape playing today. You know, what do you think? Um, and if I sit on that stuff and I let that stuff marinate, um, and I'm away from you guys. I mean, I'm, 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 liable, to, I'm liable to end out on the edge um, again. And, I, and, and, you know, we've already, <clears throat> we kind of talked about, you know, where that goes. Um, somewhere in those first couple years of sobriety, um, I felt <clears throat> real release, real purpose, real... Um, purpose in my life, you know, for the first time in a long time. I went back and I finished school, um, sober. Uh, I got a job. Um, I've been in the construction industry for, you know, 15, 16, 17 years. And, um, I mean, my life is, is unbelievably improved, right? Um, I can't, there's no, there's no comparison to what it was before um, and now. But what I was going to say is that somewhere in there, um, and this is, you know, as long as I just tell the truth, it's all good. But somewhere in there, I decided that um, this AA thing was good. It was, it was nice, and it had gotten me sober. And um, I, I'm glad that I wasn't uh, dying, but that um, I kind of had a good base under me. And, you know, now it was time for me to go get all these things in life, which were really going to, they were really going to make me happy. AA was going to let me go get this stuff that was going to make me happy. And um, I didn't consciously think that, but looking back, I can see that. Um, and that's, that's what I did, you know, for, 
for a, a, a fairly good long while, up until about a year or two ago, you know. Um, I've worked steps really hard, you know, with Jimmy for, you know, four or five years. And then, um, you know, I've been sober 15, but I coasted for seven or eight, um, you know. Like I was telling Chuck before the meeting, I kind of, you know, I was going to two, three meetings a month, you know. I'd pop in here, you know, once or twice a month and check in on everybody. And um, I was still calling um, a sponsor. And, but what I was really doing was I was convinced that if I made enough money, um, if I had the, the, the prettiest girlfriend that, you know, in the Tri-County area, um, if I if I had if I had uh, a really nice house in a nice neighborhood, a really nice car, um, that one of these things is going to fix me. One of these things is going to make me feel you know the way I ought to feel. And um, I'm just about convinced that that's not true. <laughs> you know, I mean, um, it's taken some hard, hard, hard kind of. Um, you know, realizations and some long talks with <clears throat> a sponsor. I was sitting with Tom the other night, <clears throat> and Tom gives me something to read, you know, in a book, and I'm pissed, and I'm like, oh, you know, I'm in my head, and I hand it back, and I'm like, I don't even want to read that, you know, and I'm like, all right, and I start reading it, and, you know, like, Tom's good, he just lets me talk, you know, and I, I need to talk. So I, I give him the book back, and I just start talking, and I like talk myself into the realization that I have depended upon the approval um, of others, you know, for a long time um, to kind of give me, to fill, up my, to fill up my cup, you know, to make me what I think I, I ought to be. It was alcohol at one point in time. And um, I, I, I took the steps and I replaced it and I had a spiritual experience and, and, and I prayed in the morning. I still pray every morning. But somewhere in there, I, I let some of this other stuff kind of, uh, take the place of where God really ought to be. Um, and, man, it hadn't worked, you know. It hadn't worked. But I'm here to tell you, I'm here to tell you that over the past year, last, um, I mean, I think my message is, is a message of hope. I mean, I ought, I ought to be dead, and I'm not. I'm alive. And, um, and I'm happy. So last year um, in December, I was wrestling with a relationship and, um, this relationship was the thing that was going to fix me, and it wasn't, and uh, she'd had some trauma kind of in her life. Her mom had died in a um, really tragic way, and uh, God, I was going through that grieving process with her, and um, I just, uh, I was either, at, at that point in time, I was either, I didn't want to drink, um, but I was going to kill me or kill somebody, you know? And I was that, I was just, I was just a ball of, of anxious um, apartness. And I'd gotten that far away from the program. And um, I've been back at it, you know, pretty hard for a year again. And um, I'm feeling that release again. I'm feeling that relief. And I got a sponsor. I got two guys I sponsor. Um, I'm praying every morning, asking God to direct my thoughts and, you know, keep me away from a drink. Um, I'm trying to stay out of ego and, uh, you know, trying to be alone for a little while, you know. So that's kind of my message. I mean, 
Um, AA works. Um, I was pretty much a hopeless alcoholic at age 22, got sober at 22, and been sober for 15 years. And you can be as happy, you can be as happy here in AA as you want to be. Um, and that's absolutely true. You just got to, you got to do the work. You really do have to do the work. Um, my spiritual condition today uh, and my trust in a power greater than myself, God, um, is greater than it's been at any point, I think, in my life. Um, and that's why I'm happy, you know? I mean, when I really, when I really believe, what time is it? When I really believe, when I really take step three, and I really, I have glimpses. I have glimpses of it, and then it, and then it kind of goes away. But it, when I really believe that there is a power greater than myself, that there's a God, that this God wants good things for me, um, and that there's a plan for my life, um, and I don't have to control it, and all I have to do is suit up, show up, come to A meetings, try to help other people, um, and it's all going to work out. Man, that's, a, that's a damn good message. It really is. I mean, and, and it's, it's when I can believe that, I've got a ton of relief. I've got a ton of um, release. I mean, the book says, you know, the, the main object of this book is to allow you to find a power greater than yourself that will solve your problem. It's kind of a strong message, you know. So, anyway, thanks for letting me be here. Um, thanks for letting me share. I appreciate everybody that's come out, and hopefully I've said something that's helped somebody. Thank you.